that's always something to wear that kind of chip on your shoulder as an Eastern Kentuckian where you know there's a lot of people on the outside that kind of count you out because of where you're from. It's always fun to, to kind of compete and to prove those people wrong. Appalachia Meets World, a podcast about place and perspective, but always Appalachia. Appalachia Meets World, it's Will and Neil. Welcome to the episode tonight. A lot going on. A little practice tonight, a little practice time tonight. little practice, yeah. Had a little drive today. I was in Louisville, made my way back. It's pretty up there this time of year. Actually, you know, you don't ever think of Louisville as being really in Appalachia. Because why? It's not. Because it's not. But some of the same sites that you get, you know, driving through certain areas of Louisville remind you of Appalachia. The similarities, man. We're, we're not yeah. we're not all that different. People just think we are. <clears throat> this time of year they have they have uh, leaves turning colors as well. Really? Imagine that. <laughs> yeah, I know. It's crazy <laughs> how that happens, right? Yeah, yeah. I, I uh I've been at play practice. I guess I could mention that. Trying to be a supportive dad and instead of taking my daughter to play practice, I was finagled into actually performing i'm sure it's uh pure entertainment oh it's quality son <sighs> we got some uh upcoming holidays coming up looking forward to big thanksgiving That'll be fun uh i have 30 11 kids running around but it's all good um big thanksgiving appetizer spread can't wait for that you know that's the best part you know i was thinking i might take the top five answers that we've had on here and fix those for Thanksgiving. What do you think? I think that's an excellent idea. Yeah, I just have to narrow it down because we've had some good ones. A lot of people get caught up, though, on they just mention food that they like instead of a straight-up appetizer. Okay, man. That's okay. Yeah. There's no wrong answer. Yeah, that's true. I wanted to highlight an app biz tonight. Can we go ahead and do that? Absolutely. I'm ready for it. I wanted to highlight, I don't know if you've heard, I'm sure you've heard of this business, New Frontier Clothing. I have. Actually, you put me on it. Two brothers, Jared and Joshua Ravenscraft, born in Eastern <laughs> Kentucky. They started this basically clothing company out of their family's kitchen in Rowan County. And it has blown up to the point that they won the 2019 Martha Lane Collins Award for Excellence in International Trade from the World Trade Center in Kentucky. The, the cool thing about this company is that <laughs> they've gotten to the point where they're less concerned about like being this new trend company and really about making an impact on where they're from, their region, Appalachia. It, it's really a cool story. Instead of just making cool stuff, they, they are focusing on having social responsibility within their company, which Channing Tatum was filming a movie somewhere around there doing something. And they sent him a hat and he started wearing it and they kind of blew up from that. Just amazes me what, what you can actually do in Appalachia if you have the skills, have the resources. Who would have ever thunk a clothing company born and bred in, in Appalachia? Why not? You know? Why not? I like exactly. it. You know, how, how do you go from no, small man. town hat makers to a pretty decent size clothing company? You start small, and I think they use their education at Moorhead State in business, you, you know, you don't have to be this huge company to make a difference. So they started yeah, right. small and, and and now they have expanded to where they are today. Most of the time when companies first start, you'll hear the story later of they had no idea what they were doing and then they just kind of figured it out. But 
knowing what I know now, there are all kinds of resources within Appalachia that can help contribute to the small town guys in their kitchen or the person that wants to start a restaurant or the individual that has a great idea and doesn't know anything about where to start from a business background standpoint of getting set up. There's all kinds of resources out there, but nobody ever hears of them until it's too late. What, what is that one perfect place you can reach out to in Eastern Kentucky to find those resources? Oh man, you know what it is. You know, we're about to talk to, to the guy that leads that company. Uh, SOAR in Eastern Kentucky and throughout Eastern Kentucky is uh, that resource that I'm kind of talking about that you know, it's one of those things where I wish I knew then what I know now scenarios, but SOAR is one of those resources that could really, really help the new entrepreneur or the first time business startup guys or a business that's been around for 10 years, help you expand, help you grow. I'm looking forward to talking to uh, Colby Hall tonight and diving into just what exactly is SOAR. Yeah, absolutely. Just just a little bit of background. Shaping our Appalachian region or SOAR started out of these working groups back in 2013, 2014. And from there, they developed this plan or blueprint, which it has has uh, several things, not just resources for small business and entrepreneurship, but they also focus on broadband, on education, healthy communities, regional food systems, industrial development, tourism, and workforce development. Hey man, don't don't shoot all his bullets. No, no, I, I'm just I'm just <laughs> giving just a brief background to suggest while that that was formed in 2013. You know, a lot of times with these organizations, they develop a plan and it just sits on the shelf. And one thing that SOAR has really done that is impressive is they haven't let that sit on the shelf. They've actually capitalized on this plan and moved it forward. I'm looking forward to hear hearing Colby talk about the organization, talk about what they do for Eastern Kentucky, for the Appalachian counties in Eastern Kentucky. Really impressive what they've done from a bipartisan nature, uh, which not all organizations are, especially in in, in this space. Well, it's great to have another uh, Eastern Kentucky born and bred boy on the show. So let's dial up Colby Hall. All right, let's get him on here. On the episode tonight, we have Colby Hall. He's the executive director of SOAR, which is shaping our Appalachian region in Eastern Kentucky. And I'm just going to read the mission statement here, Colby. And then later on, obviously, we'll ask you and you you can tell us a little bit about what SOAR does. But SOAR is a regional, nonpartisan, nonprofit. I think it's important to point out nonpartisan that champions local projects, programs, and advocacy for the 54 ARC counties in Eastern Kentucky. And the mission on your website states that you fill the economic gap left behind by the decline of the coal industry, as well as rallying communities to help them achieve the goals that are in your blueprint, which we'll get to later on as well. But Colby, we appreciate your time. We just want to thank you for being on the show. Hey, I'm really happy to be here and appreciate you both, uh, Will and Neil, for giving me the opportunity to come on and, and have a conversation with you. Absolutely. Neil and I, our family's big on tradition, like most Appalachians. 
And as part, part of that, we, at the holidays, we are big on appetizers. That's a tradition we have. We always have more appetizers usually than the meal. So we wanted to just kick it off to ask you, what's your favorite appetizer or holiday dish? Oh, wow. Well, I'll, I'll just do holiday, my favorite holiday dish, because our we don't usually, there's so much food, we don't usually have appetizers for like, for like, <laughs> thanks, for like Thanksgiving. But I would say, I would have to say my mom always makes hash brown casserole, and that is my favorite that or sweet potato casserole. Hash brown casserole uh, well, better than Cracker Barrel's hash brown casserole? Um, you know, I would say yes, because we only get it one or two times a year. <laughs> we only get it for, uh, and and not that I'm, I get Cracker Barrel that much more, but uh, <laughs> I, I feel like if I if I get a, if I need a fix, I can always go to Cracker Barrel where, you know, for mom's recipe, it's only coming out <laughs> for one or two times. So I would say one of those two are, are definitely my uh, my favorite. Nice, nice. Can't go wrong with, with something that mom cooks, right? No, or anything from the casserole tree, which uh, <laughs> like you guys, there's plenty of those uh, uh, come here in Thanksgiving time. Good answer. I, I just wanted to start off, Neil and I kind of started this podcast like yourself. We have a passion for not only Eastern Kentucky, but Appalachian in, in general. We really started it to dispel a lot of the misconceptions that people have of Appalachia, as you well know. I wanted to ask you, just because I know a little bit about your background, you're from Somerset, Kentucky, which is in Eastern Kentucky for some of the listeners that don't know. But you moved away, I I guess, after high school, went to college, but also moved away after college. And Neil and I talk about this all the time, that the mountains, something about the mountains has always drawn people back. What drew you back to the mountains and specifically to Eastern Kentucky? Yeah, you know, it's hard to like put it on a specific thing and it's hard to like explain to people, but I've just always known that's where I was going to be uh, when the when the right opportunity presented itself. You know, I think my story is probably like you're all to a degree or you can't, it's hard to force it because of the lack of, of economic opportunity, just specifically in the region that, you know, I knew I was going to have to be patient, but um, I've just always felt like it was going to be back here in some instances. I, I feel like I, I guess growing up and being fortunate to go through a great public school system and to be raised by a community that I really felt like there were so many people out there that went above and beyond for me going through school, right, and and doing things. And then, you know, I, I had a great um, scholarship through UK, right, where I went to college. I, I guess I always just felt like I kind of had this, I don't want to say burden, but this deep sense that I needed to pay that back at some level. And I don't know, it's, it's just like that, you know, when you wake up and realize you're kind of playing for the Eastern Kentucky across your chest, it's just, it's just different. So I don't know if I could, if I could pinpoint it as one specific thing other than I've just always known that, that, that I was going to come back in some capacity. And fortunately it was the sore job that kind of got me back closer, closer to the region. So hopefully that answers the question. Yeah, definitely. If you could, Colby, and I know people can read this, but if you could just, can you briefly just talk a little bit about your background, where you went to college, what you did, where, what, what took yeah. you away, you know, since we touched on why you kind of came home, just tell our listeners. Absolutely. Well, as we were talking about, I'm a, a graduate of Somerset High School, so I'm a proud, proud briar jumper, right? I always have that unique mascot to throw out. That's an easy <laughs> way to remember. So 2011 grad of, of Somerset, I was fortunate. I had a great Scholarship opportunity took me to UK uh, for, for undergrad. And I guess my path, you know, it's kind of probably like a, a lot of kids that do pretty well academically. And you, you take a lot of leadership roles in high school. You naturally kind of go to like 
one of a couple of career paths. You, you want to be a doctor or a lawyer, and you really kind of think that's that's all that's out there. And so I, you know, for the longest time, I was on my way to medical school. I thought, kind of went to UK with that that mindset. And towards the end, I, I ran into an entrepreneur that um, uh, he, his name's Nate Morris. He's from uh, Rubicon, and um, they're now headquartered in Lexington. They're a waste and recycling sustainability technology company. And I just remember it was like the first time I'd ever met somebody that purebred entrepreneur and a business person. And it doesn't kind of hit me because I never really thought about the fact that there was opportunity outside of these couple narrow pathways that I had kind of thought about. So after I graduated from UK in 2015, I, um, I spent a year in Spain teaching English. So I went across the, the pond, I guess a gap year, but I had the chance to see and do and travel across Europe, which was a pretty awesome opportunity, uh, not to mention the, the, the chance to teach. And so when I got back and kind of reevaluated, I just realized that I don't think that was the path for me. And so I uh, reconnected with Nate. Uh, his company was headquartered in Atlanta, Georgia at the time, and they were hiring on their sales team. So kind of cut my teeth on it, you know, started down a sales career. It, in Atlanta. I, I was there for a little bit and kind of bounced around to a few companies, kind of working my way up as a kind of individual rep to eventually starting to, to manage teams. And so uh, that's, where, that's where I was before I took the SOAR job. I was a director of a sales for a, a logistics company and um, I had about uh, 10 people on my team total and uh, was managing uh, the day-to-day -day sales operation for a, a branch office there. Um, then I saw the store opportunity kind of come come to play, and um, I've really felt like that was my calling to get back home. I kind of went at it with uh, all I had, and uh, that's kind of what's what's bringing us here today. And so I'm here with my my now wife, who came down from Chicago. So I came up from Atlanta. She came down from Chicago, and she's a nurse practitioner at Pikeville Medical Center here. So it's it's all really worked, worked itself out and uh, we're super excited to be back in the region. You spoke about the SOAR job and I mentioned in, in the beginning what SOAR was, but I know even a lot of people in Eastern Kentucky, they know of SOAR and they know the great things that you guys do, but they don't know exactly what you do or who you are or what value you provide. Yeah. Can, you, can you just uh, touch on that? Just explain what SOAR is for the listeners? Yeah, absolutely. Well, it stands for sheep in our Appalachian region. So uh, just to kind of rewind the clock back, you know, in the early 2010s, around that area, around the time when the recession happened, you know, there was this move away from, from coal, um, specifically coal being used as an energy source. There were some, you know, federal regulations that disincentivized, you know, power plants from burning coal, for example. But probably the, the, the thing that was the biggest deal was as advances in fracking and horizontal drilling increased, it unleashed this massive new domestic supply of natural gas, right? Which which really lowered the price, and as a result, it made coal uh, not as competitive as it had been. And so it it just was really destructive economically in in our region, right? Because it was this um, you know not just the main economic driver, but really this source of identity for an entire an entire region. And so as coal started to leave, you know those jobs. You know, started to, to, to go with it. There was a ton of displaced coal miners kind of at the very beginning. But what was really, I guess, cruel about the loss of that industry is um, the stat out there is, is for every coal job that was lost, about 3.3 other drop jobs uh, that supported the industry were, were lost over time. So depending on what studies you look at, I mean, some folks estimate that up to like 100,000 jobs total, like direct and indirect were lost 
you know, in this 10 year period or, or, or so, which for a region like ours is devastating. So, you know, naturally people started asking, they were, they were forced to finally think about and, and respond to the question of what's next, right? How, how does, what is the answer for the region, you know, economically in a world where coal doesn't exist or definitely it, it doesn't play the role that it has before, because this is more than just a cyclical up and down that comes with commodity-based economies, right? There's always been the cyclical nature to it, but this one was different. And so it was kind of from that setting that SOAR was brought into existence by former Governor Steve Bashir and current Congressman Hal Rogers as, you know, I guess ironically started by two politicians from, you know, opposite sides of the aisle, but to be this nonprofit champion to broadly think about what is next for the region economically. And so we were created from this, these listening sessions that were held all across the region. And it was put together in this like 450 page final report. And it was from those findings that SOAR came into existence, especially after our very first summit in, in Pikeville um, back in, in, in 2013. So that's kind of why we exist. And I'm sure we'll go into it, but we're supposed to be helping the region think about, you know, how does, how do we respond back and how do we get back on our feet and towards that path to prosperity in a world where cold's not there, which yeah. for a reason that's been historically dependent on it, that's a, uh, that's a big, complicated, complicated, difficult question. Yeah. And I'm glad you, you, you again touched on the, the bipartisan part and how from a political standpoint, two people from opposite ends of, of the aisle, it wasn't, wasn't easy for them to get together and start SOAR, but it, you know, it was something that was needed and, and necessary. And, and, and I think that was a great first step for the organization to bring both those sides together. Yeah. And that I can, I can tell you since I've started and not, I don't want to say I'm surprised, but it's just in the day and the age that we live in, you, you wonder if, if, if things could truly be not political, right. Just, just by nature of it. But since I've started, I, you know, I put about 20,000 miles on, you know, the V the, my, my vehicle since I've started. So I've, I've, I've gotten around to most of our 54 counties, like in all my conversations, one-on-one group, whatever, like it's never been brought up because yeah, I think for the, for the most part, everybody is, it's just a distraction for, I mean, we have so much work to do, guys. You know this in the region. Like, there's so much. I mean, it can get overwhelming at times to think about just how how many gaps we need to close. So, if if politics were brought into it, it's just taking us away from the stuff that we need to be focused on, which is you know asking the big the big question. You know, how do we close the gaps with broadband? How do we train a workforce for the digital careers that are going to be that are already abundant, but going to continue to grow via remote work? Right. I mean, it's those things where our time, energy and and attention should be focused. And so if the other stuff that just didn't matter was brought into it, it just would be a waste of time and a distraction. So it's been really nice to see that. That's a great point. And and to those two items that you touched on and you talked about the working sessions and I know they were throughout the region and they, they lasted a while and they developed. This plan, you called it a plan, but I know now you guys call it a blueprint. Yeah. Kind of your action plan and what you do. And 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 I think it's unique in the sense that even dating back to the 60s, you can read plans about Eastern Kentucky, about Appalachia, Kentucky. And, and a lot of times these plans just sat on the shelf. And I think something different about the blueprint and what happened out of these working sessions, SOAR has taken it to a place that it's not sitting on the shelf. 
you guys are helping other organizations come together and implement a lot of the items that are in the blueprint. And I just want to read, it's broken down into seven categories, but broadband, like you mentioned, tourism, workforce, like you mentioned, entrepreneurship, health, industry, and regional food systems. And that th- those are kind of the seven main topic areas, criterias that came about from these working sessions. But I, I just wanted to maybe ask you, I feel like broadband may be the one that connects them all, or maybe one that is most important to the region. But can, can maybe you touch on broadband and then we'll talk about a couple more. We don't want to talk about all seven. We don't have 10 hours for this episode, but can you maybe touch on broadband? And because it is National Entrepreneurship Month, which is one of the reasons why we wanted to have you on the show, and we can talk about that in a little bit, but can you talk about broadband and then maybe um, we'll touch on entrepreneurship? Yeah, absolutely. Um, Well, (laughs) that this has been, this is our number one priority goal. I mean, there are seven things up there and we try to think about all those things and what our work may look like next year is having focus area, but broadband's until we get it done, the access piece, it's mission number one. So I guess I'll speak kind of broadly while maybe one of your, some of your listeners, especially if they may be tuning in from or have a background in, in metropolitan areas to understand why broadband in rural areas like Eastern Kentucky is a classic market failure, meaning there is a great need for a public good or service that cannot be met by the private sector alone. And it, it goes back to the fact that as our population has declined, there's fewer and fewer people that could that would be the future customers for big infrastructure projects like broadband, right? So if a private company comes in and it takes them way more money to build out here for a slower rate of return, it just doesn't work, which is why it's so important for uh, the public sector and for government to be a part of the solution here because without government funding it and providing grants to really high cost underserved unserved areas it just it's it's just not going to happen on its own so it's everything and quite honestly you know will and neil i i almost wish we could outlaw or ban people talking about how important it is because we're we're just so far beyond that because it's yeah. just so much of the conversation gets left at that surface level and we've really got to start thinking about how do we move the needle in the areas where it, it, it is so needed because, you know, it is healthcare, it is education. With it being Natural Entrepreneurship Month, it's entrepre- it's, it, it is, it's, it's the life, it's the lifeblood of entrepreneurship. The beautiful part about the internet is, and I'm here in Floyd County, have great connection here. We have a, a local provider through Gearheart. I've got way better internet here than I did in Atlanta, uh, which is also kind of a misconception. I think some folks think there's just nothing in Eastern Kentucky and there's some places that we've got some work to do, but there's also some counties that have the access piece of broadband almost almost done. You know, if you're an entrepreneur or a remote worker and you've got access to the internet, guess what? That's the same connection that anybody else across the world has. And you're doing it from right here in Eastern Kentucky that statistics would show are some of the most economically depressed areas in, 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 in communities anywhere. But it doesn't matter. It's the same basic infrastructure and the same access to markets that somebody in Marin County, California or Cuyahoga County, Ohio has, right? It, it's, it's the exact same. So it's an equalizer. It democratizes opportunity. And what the internet does, all the stuff that works against our region. So traditional infrastructure roads are always harder here. Buildings, just about everything's harder in Eastern Kentucky because of this beautiful region we have, but the challenges it brings from its topography and geography and some of the trends that have worked against us. If we have internet though, 
it makes that stuff not as, as important. It's another big lever that we can pull. So when we think about how we move the needle and, just, and I'll, I'll get off my soapbox here, but this is it's so, it's so important for people to understand this. Most experts kind of lay the broadband. So if broadband's the roof, there's kind of three pillars that fall underneath. The first one's access, you know, who, who has it? And that's where we are in a lot of our communities. It's challenging because mapping is such an issue. Um, you would think that the, the, the first question you ask with, with access is, well, who has it and who doesn't? And you feel like it should be a relatively straightforward answer, but it's, it's not. And that's a, big, that's a big reason why, despite there being billions in federal subsidies over the years to solve and bridge the rural divide in, urban, or in, in rural areas, actually divides grown, despite there being more money thrown at it, right? Which should tell you that it's not just money that's needed to close the gap. It is needed, but it's also made us to make sure that we get it to the right places and the right providers. Those answering those two questions are, are as is important. So access is a big piece, affordability, having broadband, but it being expensive and out of reach of, of a good swath of, 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 of a population. Right. And there's a lot of folks more more urban than rural, but definitely in rural areas that have access to broadband, but it's expensive and they can't afford it because, I mean, when it comes down to paying for broadband or electricity or water, that other stuff, you know, keeps you alive. Right. So, I mean, it's it's really important that we keep it affordable. And then the last piece is probably the, is, is, is the adaptability or digital literacy. So, you know, do you know how to use this tool? How do you, how do you leverage the amazing opportunity that that the internet can bring. And so for, for those listening in that may be like, well, I'm in a community where this is a need, just tell me what to do. How do we get started? Which is a question I hear often in my conversations. I would say a, a couple of things. One is who's your, who's your local fiber board? When I say a fiber board, who is your group of digital champions, the people that are really going to push this, this initiative forward? We're a small team. And, and, and we're a collective impact organization, which means that our work is, I don't want to say metaverse, right? Because that's a, that's a, <laughs> but, but it is a little higher level, right? I think our role is, are we focused on the right priority areas? Are we setting the right targets? Are we communicating how the region is moving the needle inside of each of those, of those pillars? But we're also making sure that all the people on the ground that live in those communities day in, day out, that they're not just treading water, right? That they're working hard and putting time, energy, and effort in, but it's making a difference. That's hard. That's hard sometimes. But for broadband, right, and, and like a lot of things across our pillars is who's moving it forward every day? Who's talking about the vision? Who's planning it out? Because without that buy-in from your local community and in, 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 a, in a good cross-section of it from healthcare, education, business leaders, students... If there's not a good local group that's fighting for it, that's uh, in charge of meeting regularly to talk about it, it won't happen. So it starts with forming that group in your community. The second thing is, is you've got to do a formal feasibility study. So you've got to do your best at answering some of the very basic who has it and who doesn't questions, because if you don't, it's going to come back to bite you when you go out and you, you go for grant applications. Everything's very data driven. There's dispute. Uh, processes inside of those grants that, you know, incumbents, if they're not doing their job, they're able to say, hey, we actually have service out there. You know, they don't. But if you can't prove it, you just you've got to play the game. Right. So you have to have a formal feasibility study. And the last thing is there's a lot of programs out there on the affordability piece 
One is called the Emergency Broadband Benefit Program, which is offered through the, the FCC. That's $50 off a month for low-income residents, and they're having a really hard time getting this money to where it's needed. So if any of your listeners are in a community where affordability is a big thing, there's this program already out there that people sign up and they're able to get $50 off their internet bill per month. And that's also going to be a long-standing program through this recently passed infrastructure bill. It's going to go down to $30 off a month, but if they get registered for the program now, that subsidy is going to be there. And listen, that's huge. Yeah, the difference goes a long way. You know, taking a $75 service down to $25 or to $45, that's a big help. And you can layer it on some of these other assistance programs if that's your need. So the last thing I'll say, and uh, I'll t- I'm sorry for you, 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 this is the one thing I've probably done more than anything is really trying to understand how we move the needle with, with broadband, but it's localism. In communities that we serve across Eastern Kentucky, it's localism that gets broadband done. It's not just localism from providers, but the people involved. And if anybody's out there waiting for somebody else to come in and solve that problem, I got news for them, and it may be tough to hear. It's not going to happen because yeah. it's it's difficult, it's expensive, it's time consuming. So without local people pushing it forward each and every day, nobody's going to do that for them. So localism is what gets broadband done in Eastern Kentucky. That that's a great answer. I I, I won't even mention Starlink because I don't think that's something we can wait on anyway. <laughs> well, I think Starlink's a big deal. You know, it's an emerging technology. We've we followed it closely, but for some of our most remote located folks and folks in need, where it's going to be really really hard, no matter how much money you have to build fiber out to them, right? As a technology like Starlink, as it progresses. It could be real a real game changer for those most in need. But I would say for those that live in a population area like London or Somerset or Pikeville, right, where the need, it just depends on your needs. So I don't I don't see Starlink as a competitor. I mean, fiber's king, right? If you right. fiber to if fiber to the home is the best technology, provides the best bandwidth, nobody's arguing that. But for those houses way out there, right? And those those people are, hey, those tourist attractions way out there services way out there where a wired connection may be close to impossible starlink could be a really good option because as long as you've got that line of sight you plug it in and you've got functional internet so it is going to be i think a a a big help for a a certain population group in the region as it continues to progress i also wanted to really dive because we mentioned it is national entrepreneurship month neil neil's an entrepreneur in his own right I wanted to mention the new guide that came out from SOAR, the, the complete guide to entrepreneurship in Eastern Kentucky. I've, I've actually downloaded it myself. It, it's an incredible resource for any entrepreneur or anybody thinking about becoming an entrepreneur or any small business in Eastern Kentucky. There's so many resources in it. There's so many links, people you can reach out to, which I, I which I found very important. There, there are numbers in there, people you can reach out to. And it just goes through the process of, of what you need, what you need to think about of A to Z when, when starting starting a business. It's really an incredible resource. I, I commend you guys on, on putting it out. And I just wanted to 
give you the floor and let, let you talk about a little bit, let you talk about entrepreneurship in Eastern Kentucky and how important. Well, I, I appreciate you download. We, I saw you, I saw you come in, right? So every time we get somebody's information, you know, for us, it's an acquisition tool. I think I told you I come from a sales background, right? So I really <laughs> yeah, believe, right. I really believe in, in, in high quality content important for us to have the uh, kind of the process and the playbook to fall back on to show why, you know, we're, we're, we're in the right position to be uh, seen as a think tank that people see as Fort Eastern Kentucky. So thanks for downloading it. And I'm glad, thanks for saying the kind words about it. You know, I would say one of the things that quickly became identified when I got here or something I heard over and over across the region is we there's a lot of great resources out there for people with technical assistance. Neil, if you're an entrepreneur, I mean, you guys are busy. The last thing we can, I'm just being brutally honest here, expect you to do is show up for a webinar to learn about something, right? We've got to find you. We've got to go knock on your door and work to build that relationship, gain your trust. And we'll, we know we will have that when you come to us with a question, right? But we also got to have resources, one that you can find on your own and depending on where you are, that you can look at it as something of value. So, you know, for me, that was what the, the guide was. You know, we, we have SOAR Innovation, which is through a partnership with the Cabinet for Economic Development, where we have three folks on the team currently that cover the vast majority of our 54 counties, 42 of the 54. And they're, they're there to support entrepreneurs and small business owners across the region, especially those that have the ability to scale. So have some sort of tech focus, the ability to, to create jobs and grow rapidly so but we we support anybody um will and, and neil and so that guide was our way of trying to make it a one-stop shop so depending on if you were thinking about it or planning one or just launched or maybe you've been at it for a while you're trying to think of some ways to improve internally no matter where you are that you can access this resource and kind of tailor it to, to your needs and so we tried to put all the different Eastern Kentucky resources in it. That was kind of the Eastern Kentucky tilt with all the technical assistance providers from business planning to uh, folks that could help with finance. It's, it's in there. So uh, it was to bring people like you, Neil, to us to help you find you, right? I, I, I would rather my um, innovation reps, right, have warm conversations with people where we know where they're coming from instead of just kind of going out. I mean, they'll go out and continue to knock on doors and, and, and cold call per, per se, but warm leads are always better, right? So it was a way for you to come to us. It was a way for us, again, to, to, to set ourselves up as a subject matter expert in this, in this, in this field. Um, and then it was a way for us to, you know, really just kind of create something valuable. It's, a, it's beneficial for anybody across the region, no matter where they are. Or, and if you know of somebody that's in that place, please tell them to download it. It's completely free. Reach out to us because we're also happy to help and come visit in person or have a conversation over the phone or anything like that. And just say real quick where entrepreneurs can download that. Yeah, they, you can get it on our website and it's the uh, complete guide to entrepreneurship in Eastern Kentucky couple of clicks from the homepage there. We just asked for a little bit of information from you. And as soon as you input your information and send it over to us, we're going to send you a PDF to download and the guide is, is all yours. We talked about broadband. We talked about entrepreneurship and there are, are five other areas. But one of the things that I wanted to ask you, people say all the time, not only Eastern Kentucky, but Appalachia's best export are its people. A lot of people move away and it's hard for them to get back through SOAR or what you guys are doing and what the region's doing collectively. How, how are you trying to keep people in the region, especially young people? It's a really good question. And, and actually, I would argue that now 
we finally got a way to do it. Population loss is the number one problem our region has to solve. Regionalism is kind of one of those things that's easy to talk about, but it's really hard to do because, you know, when it comes down to it, when you've got 54 places that you're trying to serve simultaneously, brings them all together. Population loss is one of those things. Um, you know, Eastern Kentucky as a whole lost about 5% between 2010 and 2020. Without people, nothing works. When, when community institutions, things like that, it becomes difficult for them to keep their doors open. That's tough to bounce back from. So if you, were, if you guys both were to ask me to kind of rephrase what you just talked about, Will, what, what is the number one question? You know, everything is, is, is downstream from that. When I talk about broadband, we talk about remote work, we talk about everything. It all comes back to because that's an answer to population loss. Population loss, you solve that in two ways. You keep more of your own domestic talent and you bring new people in. And I think we're doing some cool things that soar to do, to do both of focus on the former, the part of how do we keep more of our own. Recently called Hollowing Out the Middle. And it was about actually uh, rural brain drain in Iowa in the early 2000s. And it was a fascinating book. Very, very uh, hit close to home. Um, as they cat, they looked at this rural on an Iowa that was agriculture based for the most part, so a little bit different than, than our industry based, but they were seeking to answer that question of how did this community keep more of its best and brightest home before they went off for opportunity in Chicago. And, I mean, it, it was interesting because they did all these things that you're hearing about now from all these different incentive packages and things like that. But one of the things the book talks about is ultimately came back to no matter how much opportunity or how creative they got, small town Iowa just could not compete economically against big cities. The economic opportunity in those areas, there was it just could not hold its own against bigger cities in their pool. And you get that, right? I mean, for the longest time in our region, it's been leave and achieve or stay and decay, despite a deep desire for many folks wanting to stay here but they just couldn't make it happen. We can shift the conversation from creating jobs and waiting for companies to find us and come and invest millions and create jobs, which we want that, don't get me wrong, but that just takes time. And it also is, is difficult in our area because of all those things that work against us like we talked about. But with remote work and this shift that we're seeing as a result of this pandemic, the jobs are already created. Just spend some time on LinkedIn right? And see any white collar profession is, is being pushed remotely, which is accessible to any job seeker, to any talent across the country. That is a massive win for a rural region like Eastern Kentucky, because we can go from not creating those jobs, but to filling them. What, what, is, what, is, the, what is the educational curriculum look like for somebody to, to access a, sale, a digital sales career? or marketing or HR or recruiting or any of your more technical skill sets from programming, coding, cybersecurity. The point is, is the opportunities are endless. So when I think about how do we retain more of our, it is truly possible with remote work. It's the jobs that we've been after. They're here. They're just through our computer. They're not represented by a physical building. So I truly believe if we can get broadband right, how we organize our workforce around where these opportunities are, we don't have to convince everybody to stay, nor should we force anybody to stay. It's, it's, it's everybody's individual decision, but we can at least have an option to stay. And we can directly counteract as kids start to think about that, that two-way mindset of I've got to get out. And if I stay, I want to stay, but if I stay, I'm, I'm toast. That's just not true anymore because of the internet. 
I think that's a really good point. Just just having that option or having that opportunity, that, that's all you need. It is. When you look at the last big economic shift that came from the recession, regions like ours, as we came out of that, we did not get our fair share of the recovery. That the recession, it, it, hurt, it hurt us as far as the winners and the losers coming out of that. I think we're in a really great position coming out of this pandemic to gain back, to win back some of those, those gains because when, it, when it's less about where you work and more about what you do and the skills that you have, that's, that's a, that, is a, that is a massive opportunity for our region. When somebody from San Francisco or any place across the, the country, they can now live wherever they want to as long as they have internet. Well, we don't need all of them to move here, but think about what a thousand people in three or four communities across across the Eastern Kentucky, thousand retained that would have left, what that could do across three or four generations. That's where population gets solved. But we've got to get organized and we've got to seize the opportunity. And we definitely have a lot of work to do there. Such great points. And you're kind of talking about my next question and, and the future for, for Appalachia. I, I want to briefly mention, though, that you just had your summit in Corbin, Kentucky. The first time you'd had the summit outside of Pikeville, I guess, in the in the last seven seven years. I want to talk about what, what you foresee as the future for SOAR, as the future for Appalachia. But maybe you could just mention, I know you also got a mini uh, a grant to provide some mini summits as well. And I'm assuming they're not yeah. going to be in Pikeville. They're, they're probably going to be throughout the region. Can you just uh, mention, are you going to continue to have summits throughout the region? And then talk yeah. what you foresee as the future for SOAR and as the future for Appalachia. Well, 100%. So um, we're excited to be able to have more convenings. And we, we don't want to be in a position where we feel like we have to kind of cram all the good and all the needed stuff to discuss and in, in kind of one two-day session. It's just not, not, not enough. So while we'll always probably have the one kind of blowout summit where we bring together exhibitors and, and kind of it, it, it's the big event, we are looking forward into 2022 to having more intimate, smaller, I don't want to say scaled down, but in the weeds regional convenings, right? One for us to get around to our 54 county region, which we want to make sure we're only sustained by the participation we have as the region. So our legitimacy and our relevancy comes from the region and how they view us. And so if we're not showing up and if people don't feel like they have a seat at the table, then our effectiveness is diluted. So we've got to show up in communities. We're on the right pillars in that blueprint, but like we have to make that document actually mean something to somebody. And so our first one's going to be in March of next year in Ashland. It's going to be a, a convening focused on tourism. When I think about the big questions and how do we really move the needle, tourism, for example, it's a $60 billion a year industry in the 420 Appalachian counties. It was in 2020, but it was concentrated about 90% of it in three cities. So how do we go out and we get more of that existing pot and then more of it as it grows because we have this, this recreational adventure tourism that people can't get enough of right now. So those regional convenings are going to be a great opportunity for us, not to just to show up in a community, but really have an important conversation and got to get into the weeds, so to speak, where we think about how do, how do we measure ourselves here? Because I think that's the big thing that SOAR can bring to the table is these big conversations that it, it's not white and black, but how do we 
what are the right metrics? How do we measure success? What does that look like? How do we know that we're all doing our jobs well? That's a, that's a role that we can that we can play there. So when I think about the future of SOAR, at least looking into next year, those regional convenings to me are going to be hopefully super critical and helpful in making sure that everybody across the region has confidence in us and feels like they're a part of and that again all drills back to what we very first started with which is what's next for eastern kentucky and how do we get back to prosperity and so um, the last thing i'll say on it you said you know the future for sore just beyond the thing i think about you know what keeps what keeps you up at night or what you know what do you think about when you lay you lay your head down i've got to make sure our organization's relevant I've got to make sure that we're providing value. I've got to make sure that just about every time anybody has an interaction with us, they walk away and say, wow, those people are laser focused on the right things for the region. So our summits are one way that we do that. Our content is another way that we do that. But that's the one thing I've always got to make sure as an organization is that we're seen as relevant uh, and that people believe in us and they know that if SOAR's on the job, they've got confidence that it's things that need to be worked on. and that we're making progress, right? That we're doers and not just talkers. Perfect. I got a couple of rapid fire questions. If you're game, uh, since you've put so many miles on your automobile over this past few months, do you have a favorite spot in Eastern Kentucky? And I'm not just saying this. One of them is definitely Pineville. I, I would have said Pineville had I not known you guys were from there. But if I'm kind of going out on a limb and saying what's a place that's kind of left me wow, like one of those wow moments, Letcher County. I'm not certain if you've ever spent any time at Pine Mountain or uh, in Jenkins, um, Whitesburg. It's just an absolutely beautiful, it's just, you can go up to so many different spots and get this breathtaking view of the mountains. And you're like, I, I feel so, it, it's a shame that I didn't realize this was here before. So Letcher, Letcher County is in Pine Board, two of my favorite places that I've been to so far. Awesome. We're biased, but but we, we appreciate that answer. <laughs> What's your favorite thing to do in eastern Kentucky? Prestonsburg has some great, and they do a great job with tourism, trails, so like the Passage Trails. So these are some of the, uh, the Passage Trail was an AML and a Bain of Mineland project, but uh, these walking trails. So, I mean, it's, they're awesome. I mean, there's these nice clean cut trails that kind of cut through the community. So we love to go up to Prestonsburg and walk those on the weekend or during the week. It's, it's hard now that it's getting dark so late. But between that and we love walking up at Bob Amos Park, like around the track, they've got a nice community track and then a nice trail, right? It's like a four mile loop right in downtown Pikeville. So we like being active and um, those those outdoor trails just in the, you know, where we live, we live in Betsy Lane. So it's kind of equal distance between Prestonsburg and Pikeville. But those are the things that we've really enjoyed since we've since we've been here. I wasn't going to ask this, but you, since you say you love to eat, what's your favorite restaurant in Eastern Kentucky? Oh man, let me think about that for a, for a second. So I'm a big fan of. I'm not sure last time if you guys have been to Ashland. Ashland has a really nice restaurant. Um, not like nice, but well, it is nice, but not like super. Exp- and inside the Delta Hotel called the Winchester, it's really really good. So it's a it's a great restaurant. So. The Winchester is really good. I mean, downtown Corbin, take your pick. I mean, the Wrigley is is amazing. Austin City's got great food there. I've not been to the Ice House. I think I've heard good things about the Ice House that's kind of on the periphery. 
over there. Love the Butcher's Pub. Love uh, Sauced, which I think they've got a location in, 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 in London. Chard Oak in Somerset is great. The Brick House in Prestonsburg is another good spot. I mean, Pineville, you've got like seven restaurants now downtown between between pizza, between Mexican, between um, a, a steak, a steakhouse, between Irish. I mean, you can get you can get just about anything right there in in in, in Pineville for sure. And then here in Pikeville, um, Broken Throne, which is a local brewery, they've got some uh, gosh, just awesome burgers and fries. I, if you guys are ever over here, you've got to make sure you get uh, Broken Throne's food. I think they just opened up a new a new spot right down the road as well. So. There are definitely a ton of good eats uh, across the region for sure. Is the Floco still open? As far as I know, Floco still open. <laughs> Downtown Pombo used to be a little uh, drugstore restaurant. We got some friends of our family owned it for hundred. Okay, years. it's called the Floco. I'll have to look that one. <laughs> we'll let you off the hook playing the favorite game. But another reason why we started this podcast and what Neil and I try to do is to gas up at Appalachia. So we yeah. want to give you the opportunity to, to just gas up Eastern Kentucky, give your elevator pitch. Uh, do you have anything to say? I know you've pretty much gassed it up this entire episode, but do you have a <laughs> you have an elevator pitch for Eastern Kentucky? Well, I guess it depends on who you're talking to. But I guess to answer your question, Will, I would speak to the person that maybe they're in high school or college and they, they, they'd like to come back, but they just don't think they can make it work. Maybe it's somebody on the outside that's working that has roots in the region that is kicking it around, but they're just not sure how to how to make it work. I, I would just say that one of the cool parts, one, it's nice to be in a region. It's kind of fun to be the underdog. I think that's always something to wear that kind of chip on your shoulder as an Eastern Kentuckian where you know there's a lot of people on the outside that kind of count you out because of where you're from. It's always fun to, to kind of compete and to prove those people wrong. And so, you know, every day that I wake up working for SOAR, it's really cool to know that it is tough work. There are so many things, so much, uh, so many problems we need to solve. But the fact that there's people out there that that look at Eastern Kentucky as a whole and just don't expect much, like it just kind of motivates and fuels you more. And so I say to those people that I, I mentioned at the beginning, those those people that maybe have a longing, they're just not sure how to make it work. I think the competitive advantage that we have in Eastern Kentucky to those people is you have such a chance to play an outsized role in the future of this region. Uh, no matter if you're a doctor or if you're a small business owner or what skills or trade you bring to the table, just by being here in whatever community across across the region, you have a tremendous opportunity to, to have an outsized impact. And not every big place around the country can say the same. I'm not saying you can't get involved if you move to a place like Atlanta. You, you, you can get involved and do cool things and volunteer. It's not going to be felt in the same capacity that it could be right here in Eastern Kentucky. And I would argue that the internet and remote work, just to go back to it, has made that more possible than ever before. Uh, any white collar person with a with a job that, uh, there, there's so many that can be done online right now. And as we're in the middle of the great resignation, right over what, 35 million people have resigned and, and quit their jobs this year. There's a lot of people that are thinking about their purpose. There, there, there's never been a better time to find a way to economically support yourself and do it from right here in Eastern Kentucky and do it in a place that needs you. We need you. We need people. If that's one call I could make is if somebody can find a way to make it work and make it work for their spouse too, right? Because you have to think about both people. Then you've got a chance to uh, to be a part of something really cool over the next you know, 10 or 15 so years as this region continues to redefine 
and rebrand itself. And uh, you could be one of the first people to help make it happen. Great answer. We always ask all of our guests this this one simple question just so we can uh, get an idea of where your mind goes to when you hear it. But when I say the word Appalachia, what's the first thing that comes to mind? Honestly, what comes to mind for me is if 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 we would if you would have asked me at the beginning, like before we've talked, and I think about growing up, we always went to Bristol for the Food City 500 in March. Yeah. And that was, we always cut through 25. So we'd, we'd go through Barville and go through Middlesboro and, and Harrogate and down through that way. And I always remember just looking out, like we would always take like a 15 passenger cargo van because we're going with my dad and his crazy friends. And uh, <laughs> just looking out uh, kind of right there, I guess that's right. The Cumberland Gap area that was kind of, because we would leave so early. So that's like when the sun would first start hitting. And I just remember being as a little kid looking out and being like, gosh, it's, I didn't realize there were mountains over here. And that was so close to kind of where I was from. So yeah. maybe that, that, that trip between Somerset and Bristol is that what look I think out, is, Look out mountain there. Yeah. Is what I think about in the tunnel, right? Cause we'd always yeah. blow the horn going through the tunnel. One final question. Well, actually I might have one after that, but <laughs> as a as a final question, uh, we we ask all our guests this too, but and you kind of answered it. Where do you call home, and and what makes it unique for you? Well, now that I'm married, I say wherever my wife is, I that's that's home, no matter no matter no matter where it is, right? I mean, you have, you have to work at it, no matter where you are, right? You've got to really you know places and and uh, acclimation, um, and doesn't come easy. So you got to think about how you get involved and the things that you do, and are you taking uh, advantage of amenities. And so even coming back to the region, a place like this, you know, you had to get out and my job makes it a little bit easier, but you got to meet people and listen to people and interact and get involved with a, a church or, 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 or where that goes. But no matter if you're in a big city or small town, if you, you go to work and you come back and you're, you're not finding ways to lay roots, so to speak, and to think about how you can play a role and uh, even no matter how small or how big, in a community and, and, and filling some of those needs, you're not going to ever feel like a place is home or where it, you feel comfortable, you know, uh, being yourself or, or, or whatever the case may be. So, you know, I think you, you, you make your home. I think for me, it's just, uh, it's up to you and, and whether, no matter where you are making the best of the situation, if you're not out there trying, then it's, it, it, it's hard for it to just, just happen. You yeah, know? That's, re- that's a really good answer. I think I would be remiss to not add this final point. Did a little little background research before the episode, and I, and I saw that we might should call you King Hall because in, in 2014 you were awarded the Homecoming King of Kentucky. So I just want to ask you: Do you still have the sash? Do you, do you keep it? <laughs> you know, I think the. Uh... I think that I think it's at the house somewhere. And in, in, in <laughs> I tell you, that was such a cool day and something I'll never forget. I mean, one, it was an honor to to be voted on you know, by my peers. But just the whole day from my whole family was up there. Uh, you just love the state so much where you're from. You know, that day, too, we, you know, we were hosting the number one team in the country in town. If you remember, that was Dak Prescott's Mississippi State team. And actually, my, one of my roommates was the, the UK's quarterback, Pat Tolles, at the time. So it was just such a neat day, a beautiful day, 3.30 CBS kickoff. The tailgating scene was great. And then you walk out on that field and you have 
so many people screaming at you from the stands and then you you end up getting crowned. It, it happens so fast, but it's just something I'll, I'll never forget. Um, the only thing that could have happened is we could have won the football game. We, gosh, yeah. we played really, we played really well and Pat played a, probably his best game maybe as a as a at UK um despite not not winning I mean he really actually outplayed Dak that game but uh yeah you you definitely did your homework Will but that was such a um that was such a cool cool experience I'll never forget that that's awesome Uh, on the serious side I mean you you mentioned you know having a chip on your shoulder and and then you you know you made your way to to homecoming king at uk but is that something you had ever had to overcome like your accent and being from eastern kentucky going to lexington going to atlanta is that you know you thought about honestly, you don't have the twang as much as neil and i but now honestly gsp was kind of my first run i did like roger scholar but that was with a lot of people from the region that was through the center for rural development like the governor scholar program if you guys yeah. are familiar with that like that was probably my first run in with dealing with like people from Louisville, more Louisville than anything. I met a lot of good people there, but I just always kind of took it in stride with, listen, I would much rather be underestimated than overestimated. Give me that any day of the week because it just makes my job easier when, you know, whatever you're going to do to, to beat you, right? If somebody's okay. underestimating you. So I've just never put too much stock into what people think about where I'm from. I, you know, you hate to say, or, you know, you, you leave it on the court, but whether it's been GSP or even at college with some of those same people or, you know, and some of the people I've come across when I studied abroad or in Atlanta or whatever the case is, I just always kind of take it. You laugh at them, you smile, you pat them on the back and you just know, you know, you're, you're looking at them and you're, you're telling yourself internally, like, bring it, man, <laughs> you know, bring it, bring it, whatever, whatever it is, whether it's, you know, we're, we're playing beer pong, we're playing ping pong, or we're talking about history, whatever the case is. It's just like, man, you can sit down here and say whatever you want to, but eventually we're going to have to run this race and you're going to have to be, you know, so it's, it's that mentality. And I think yeah. that as a region, we've got to, we've got to hone that too, because we're never going to be able to control what everybody outside of here thinks of it. Like just that's waste of, it's a waste of energy to, to try to control every narrative externally that's written about us. But eventually we as, we as Eastern Kentuckys, we've got to pull the bootstraps up and just get out in the field and, and compete. And we've, we've got what it takes. I mean, we're not inherently different or, or worse off because we were born in this place. So don't let anybody else tell you, tell you different, get out there and, and, and let's go, let's get after it. You know? So. I think that's a, that's a great ending and King Hall, we greatly appreciate your time. We want to, we want to thank you for being on the episode. Seriously. We appreciate it. Well, I appreciate you guys having me on here. This has been a blast. And let me know if there's anything else that we can ever do for you. Just holler. And I'm glad that we got a chance to connect and it was really nice meeting you both. And I hope we can stay in touch and stay connected moving forward. You guys have a good night. All right. Bye-bye. talking with Colby is good uh, learning about him and, and learning more about SOAR. I know you kind of had uh, a little bit more of a background than me, but really great to, to know those resources are out there for people and uh, just to learn what SOAR is up to. You know, it's great to hear all the things that they do in this 40, 45 minute hour episode. We couldn't get into all the things that SOAR actually does does but that focus on entrepreneurship that 
especially during National Entrepreneurship Month. The focus on even the new guide that they released is just a great resource. And I mentioned on the episode that I actually uh, downloaded it just to see what it was. And it's funny, I'll give a shout out to Tal Jones from SOAR. I think he's with SOAR and Kentucky Innovation, but he gave me a call like immediately the next day because I downloaded it just to see what help I needed, if if he could help me out in any way. I think it's an awesome idea for, for entrepreneurs out there who don't have a lot of time other than focusing on their business for someone to reach out directly and just say, hey, can we help you in any way? I thought it was awesome and, and really cool. Um, yeah, it's a quick uh, turnaround uh, for yeah, sure. Yeah. And as an entrepreneur, former entrepreneur, whatever you want to call me, you know, had I known those things were available, would have been a great benefit to me personally. Uh, so I know there's thousands of others out there that could greatly benefit from a resource like that. So I think that's really cool. Uh, amongst the other things that they do, I think that's a really valuable resource that they have. Yeah, they bring a lot of organizations together uh, in the region, which is which is a lot of time is hard in the space that they work in because there's a lot of duplication. There's a lot of people doing the same things and, and to bring them all together to collaborate, to communicate. They've been really effective on, on doing that and, and getting stuff done. You talk about it all the time, man. Doers, you got to be doers. And SOAR is a group of doers that is a great advocate for Eastern Kentucky, uh, Appalachia, and uh, I'm thankful that Colby spent the time with us to, to enlighten our listeners on uh, a little bit more in depth of, of what exactly SOAR does. Yeah, definitely. King Hall, I appreciated his time. <laughs> and uh, uh, for, for those out there that, that aren't familiar with SOAR, or aren't familiar with the resources or have heard of SOAR, but don't know exactly what they do, check out their website, give them a call. Uh, they're very responsive. And, and if you, you heard us mention the summit, uh, briefly, it was in Corbin, Kentucky this year. It used to be impactful every year, but now I think they're going to travel throughout the region uh, to have it in different locations to so show the significance and the importance of bringing people together and convening. Um, Traveling Summit, I think that's a great idea too, by the way. Um, yeah. You know, there's lots of people here uh, where I'm at in London that attended that one, uh, that event in Corbin that uh, had it been impactful I know they wouldn't have uh, been able to or wouldn't have been able to take the time to get over there. So uh, I think moving that around is a, is a great idea. So as we get into the next phase of this episode, uh, do you have anything for us tonight, Will, on uh, our of place segment? You know, uh, for of place tonight, that kind of just gives us that sense of place. I just wanted to highlight something that Colby said as he was ending uh, the discussion thought he made an excellent point. We, you know, we asked him if it was hard, you know, going to Kentucky, being from Appalachia, going to Atlanta, being from Appalachia. And he made the point while he, he had an accent and it was different, that there's no reason to apologize where we're from, you know, be proud of where we're from. I think he mentioned, talked about taking the field, strapping up and, you know, getting in the game because that's what Appalachians do. You know, we, as a people, as a region, we know that we're going to get how we're going to get perceived when we travel outside the region. We've said this a hundred times. That doesn't make us anything any less. Um, we know who we are. We know what we're capable of. And we, we can just get beyond those perceptions and just do it. Like you mentioned, you know, do we are, I think we're a region of doers. 
don't apologize for who we are and just do it. Pick yourself up by your bootstraps. Get out there and get it done. That's what Eastern Kentucky, Appalachia, that's who we are. That's Appalachia. Yeah, Appalachia. I think you've seen it in a lot of the guests that we have. I think they're an inspiration for, for everyone else in Appalachia, for everyone else outside of Appalachia, of what they've done, what they're doing, what they, what they continue to do. Absolutely. I'm just glad that we get an opportunity to highlight some of those people and hopefully our listeners appreciate those that we're reaching out to, to try to uh, give a platform to in order to tell their story a little bit more in depth. Great episode, especially during uh, entrepreneur awareness month, perfect opportunity to talk to Colby and, and find a resource for entrepreneurs everywhere. Uh, They can tap into soar. And I just think it's great. Great episode, man. Yeah. And, you know, as we've been doing this, this past over six months now, you know, I've learned so much and I've been inspired myself and I hope, hope the listeners have too. It's just a cool journey (laughs) that we're on and I can think of nothing better than the gas up Appalachia. That's what I want to do every day, 24 seven. Yep. Me too. Like you said, a great episode and I guess we can end it like we usually do till next time. Peace. getting lighter the air's getting thin now i'm facing down with a grin i've been in the city too long sidewalks and buildings and singing sad songs now i'm back up where i belong in the mountains